Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. week has been an incredibly difficult week for me and I've been incredibly busy and coming home from work every night thinking right I must get on with my word must get on with my word and then falling asleep and God waking me up in the night and so I had a notebook beside my bed every night this week I've been writing my sermon between two and four in the morning and um, thinking and it got to about Thursday and I was thinking oh I'm gonna have to phone Mark and say I really can't do this I'm so tired and yet something happened yesterday, both Saturday night, Friday night and Saturday night. I slept the whole night through. And I woke up in the morning and I just thought, I wish I knew how I could do that more often. Because it makes you feel so refreshed. Yeah. And yesterday I sat down and I put this together with all the things that God had given me during the week. And thankfully God doesn't usually do it that way. But I don't know, because my life at the moment is really busy, it's really complicated. Um, But God nonetheless found a way to get his message in my heart, starting with last Sunday with Mark's preach. And then something Vlad said at the um, earthquake about Moses sitting on a rock and having other people hold up his hands. And I really felt a sense of God's presence in that. Um, I'm really excited about what God's put in my heart for this morning. And I just really hope I can bring it across in a way that will excite you too. And just thinking about what Mark said, I just want to build on what Mark said because it's really important. He talked about achieving growth and we're in our series of um, um, of, um, daring to grow. If you knew this morning and you weren't here last week, I advise you to listen to the podcast because it was the first of the series. But Mark talked about achieving growth always involved breaking down. And he talked about breaking down in our thinking, about breaking open, about new ideas and new opportunities and different ways and breaking through in our lives and in our worlds with the way that God is manoeuvring us and challenging us and changing us. And he talked about us needing to be daring with our values. I think our values are really crucial. They sum up who we are and what we do. And it gives us a kind of framework, if you like, through which to operate. Because we know that if we're operating through this framework, then we're in line with what God is doing with us as a house here. And we need to look at those. And Mark's also mentioned about... um, about uh, God being, um, that we're chosen, we're chosen for a purpose, we're in 2 Corinthians, he talked about uh, a purpose for, to bear fruit that will last, he talked about God being the source of our comfort in times of suffering, he talked about um, that how pressure reveals uh, the nature and the measure of a person, pressure reveals the measure of a person and I want to pick up on some of that today as we just go on a little bit further into Corinthians. He talked about God being our source of comfort and I want to pick up on that as well this morning. God being our source of comfort and how comfort is inclusion not isolation. You know when we're going through difficult times it's sometimes our natural response to run away but God doesn't want us to be isolated. He wants to keep us included. He talked about it being communication and not silence. You know when we're going through hard times the worst thing we can do is be silent before God. You know, we need to come to God and to cry out to God and not isolate ourselves away. And the third thing, he talked about protection, not exposure. 
and we're protected within the house here. Um, <clears throat> when we come to God and seek God for our comfort, and the third thing, third thing he said, which I really appreciated last week, was we're crush-resistant. You know, no matter what Paul went through, as a result of what he went through, what it did for him was it stopped him being self-reliant and it caused him to put his trust in God. And I want to pick up on that again this morning. He talked about putting his confidence in God and Mark challenged us last week to where do we put our confidence. So on the basis of that background, I want to move on in Corinthians and look at the next few verses in Corinthians. Mark went up to verse 12, but I'm... I'm going to start at verse 21 because between 12 and 21, Paul just talks about um, the reasons why he did or he didn't go on some of his journeys to Corinth. Um, But I want to, for the sake of time, move on to Corinthians um, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 24. It is God who enables us. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. And he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first instalment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy. For it is your own faith by which you stand firm. And I want us to focus this morning on the fact that God enables us to stand firm. And it's our faith with which we stand firm. I can't stand firm on your faith and you can't stand firm on my faith. We stand firm on our own faith and we have to grow in our faith and develop our faith so that we can stand. And it's God who enables us to do that. And Bearing in mind what Mark said last week, we have to get rid of our self-reliance if we are going to be able to let God enable us to stand firm. So following on from Paul's declaration, he'd learned to put his confidence in God. How does God enable us to stand firm? Well, that word um, enable means to establish or to stabilise. So what we're saying is God wants to stabilise us. So we're not double-minded, so we're not here and there. God wants to stabilise us. And he's built a platform for for us on which to stand. This is the platform. This is God's stable platform for us to stand on. And God wants to enable us. How can we know? How can we know that God's platform will stand firm for us? I want us to have a look into Hebrews (coughs) In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, this verse has always burned in my heart for years, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. How did God, how did Jesus do that? Because he didn't look at the cross. He looked beyond it. He looked beyond as to what God was going to bring out of that. And I want to just kind of, I'm a very visual person, so I want to try and show this to you diagrammatically so that we get an understanding because it's appropriate to us. So when Jesus endured the cross, he wasn't looking at the cross. Where was he looking? He was looking to the Father in heaven. Why? Because the Father in heaven is the only one who saw beyond the cross. Jesus looked at the Father, and the Father 
saw salvation of mankind. And he spurred him on. Jesus, if Jesus had looked at the cross, he may not have done it. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, God, if, Father, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And so he took his eyes off his suffering and he put his eyes on the Father because his Father saw beyond the cross. He saw salvation of mankind and that was the joy set before him and that's what enabled him to endure. And similarly for us, <clears throat> me and you, if we have a mountain in our lives, we can't afford to look at the mountain. Many of you know what's going on in my world at the moment. My brother is terminally ill. And we went to the Marsden this week and they told him there's nothing more they can be doing for him now. He's just going to come home and over the next few weeks and possibly a couple of months, he's going to just get weaker and weaker and he's going to die. I can't afford to look at that. I have to look to the Father in heaven. I have to. I have to. Because if I look at the mountain, it's going to overwhelm me. Why can I do that? Because the Father sees what's beyond. The Father sees his enabling for the purpose in my life, in what's going to happen in the life of my family. If we look at what's going on in our lives and if we focus on the problems and the difficulties and the hardships, we will be overwhelmed. But if we look to the Father who sees beyond, who sees beyond the mountain and allow him to help us to stand firm. I can only stand firm when I look to him. If I look to the mountain, Monday night when I came home after spending all day at the hospital, I was looking at the mountain and I had to make myself say, no, you have to look to the Father. It's the Father who enables. It's the Father who will keep you firm. It's the Father who will strengthen you and enable his purpose, not only in me, but in the rest of my family. And of course, my greatest plea to God is that he would come to know Christ before he dies. And so we have to understand and grow. It's a choice. It's a decision. I could look at the mountain and fall apart or I can look to God and stand firm. And it's a choice. And it's a choice that I've made to stand firm and to look to the Father to get me through and to get us through as a family. God is the only one who sees beyond our mountain. And only God can get us there. Faith is in God is the vehicle. That will get us there. Only God sees beyond our mountains. You know, you, people go to a clairvoyant or they play with tarot cards or they try to find out what's in the future, but nobody knows what's in the future except God. Yes. Only God is interested in us enough to help us through and over the mountain onto the other side, to achieve some kind of purpose in our lives and to enable us to grow. And we have to choose to put ourselves in a place of losing our self-reliance and saying, God, I'm going to trust in you because you see the end from the beginning. I want us to, um, I want us to, to have a look at um, uh, a, a story in Joshua because... Faith is about believing before you see it, isn't it? I can't see what's going to happen in three months. I've got a pretty good idea what will happen. But I can't see what will happen in three months, in six months, in a year, in two years. I can't see that. And faith is believing before you actually see it. And I want to just show you how God can enable us to endure, how he can stir us up to endurance. And it's in Joshua. Now, 
Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none went out. Uh, And the Lord said to Joshua, see, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. See it. That word see means literally or figuratively perceive it, envision it, imagine it. So he said to Joshua, this is what I'm going to do. Now you imagine it. You believe in me such that you believe what I'm saying. I want you to imagine it. Because if you can't imagine it and and perceive it and get it inside of you and into your heart, you're not going to go at it as if it's going to happen. That word see means it's a done deal. I want you to realise that. I want you to get that into your thinking and get that into your heart. That I'm going to say I'm going to do this and I want you now to envision it. And so he wanted Joshua to imagine the victory simply because God said so. We have to imagine the victory in our circumstances. No matter what happens in my family in the next three months, God will lead us in triumphant procession. Why? Because he says so. Do I know how he's going to do that? I have no idea. I only know that he will because he says so. And sometimes we have to put our faith in what God says just because he said it. Even before we understand it or before we can work out how it's going to be applicable in our lives. And he wanted Joshua to do that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God's promises are yes and amen. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't... God doesn't um, have, have thoughts one day that he changes the next. God's word is settled in heaven forever. Yes. Forever. Yeah. It can't change and it won't change. So the first thing he got Joshua to do was to look to the father who saw beyond the battle. Yeah, very good. He said, Joshua, look at me. I'm going to do this. I want you to see it. I want you to believe it because I can see what's beyond it. So God prepared Joshua, and then what did he do? He did this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, and he said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let, them, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guards before them after the Ark. And while the priests continued blowing the trumpets, now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. And then you will shout. And we know that they did this for six days. So what was God doing? Well, there's a very, very significant thing here. Um, The very significant thing is the priests continually blowing the trumpets of ram's horn and the people being quiet and not speaking. Now, first God prepared Joshua. Now he's preparing the people. Seven priests, seven trumpets of ram's horn, seven days, no speaking. What was God doing? Well, the trumpet of the ram's horn is a very significant instrument in ancient Hebrew. 
um, for the ancient Hebrews, and it still has meaning today. It's mentioned many times in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and it's used on many occasions. And it's used to summon the children of Israel, either for battle or for repentance or for a feast or for a special occasion. Why was it used? The original word for the trumpet, the, the trumpet of the ram's horn, is a what? Do you know what that original word is? It's a shofar. And do you know what a shofar means? It means literally a sense of incising or to burn into. The sound of the, of the shofar was more than just a mere horn blast to the ancient Hebrews. It cut and burned into their hearts. It was intended to grab their attention and to focus them on God. And they did it continually for seven days. And in those seven days, when they blew the trumpet of the ram's horn, uh, what it was doing to the children of Israel, it was incising and burning something into their heart of the victory of God. So first of all, God prepared Joshua and then he prepared the people. Now, can you imagine, I was thinking about this this morning, can you imagine if we did praise and worship from seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the night for six days here? How would you feel on the seventh day? Man, you'd be ready to take on the world, wouldn't you? <laughs> if we just had no speaking, that would be a miracle in itself. <laughs> if we had no speaking and we just came in and we prostrated ourselves before God, 12 hours a day for six days. Why did God tell them not to talk? Because he, he didn't want their thoughts and opinions to contaminate their faith. And you know what? I, just recently I've had a revelation. I'm going to chuck away loads of my books because I don't want other people's opinions anymore. I want God's opinion. And a few people who I trust that have spoken into my life. You know, when we start talking about what God's going to do, God's going to do we can easily bring negativity in it. We can easily say, oh, that won't happen. Oh, that's no good. Oh, I don't like that song. You know, we can easily bring the whole thing down. And that's why God said, don't speak, don't speak, shut up. We don't need your opinion. We don't need your voice in this. What we need is a focus on the Father, because the Father sees beyond the mountain. I've stirred up your leaders. I've stirred up Joshua. I've got Joshua to imagine it. Now I want you guys to imagine it too. And I don't want your opinion about it. I just want you to do it for once. I'm sure you've said that to your children. <laughs> And that's what God was saying. <clears throat> so for seven days, God said, look at me, look at me, focus on me, focus on me. Keep your opinions to yourself and look at me. Don't get distracted by other people. And the priests and the spiritual leaders did not stop blowing that trumpet so that God could incise the people's hearts with victory and burn it into their hearts. It's great. It is great, isn't it? For two to four in the morning, this is great and worth waking up for. <clears throat> and so after seven days, it was not only Joshua seeing the victory. The people of God were so revved up that they saw the victory too. And the Bible says that when they shouted, they shouted with all their might as loud as they could. So how was the victory won? It was won because God enabled Joshua to stand firm by faith and he enabled the children of Israel to stand firm by faith. It was their faith, enabled by God, working in cooperation by God with God, that brought the walls down. 
It wasn't just God knocking the walls down. It was there the faith of Joshua and the children of Israel working in cooperation with God. Paul tells us in Corinthians that God has commissioned us. It is God who enables us. It was God who enabled Joshua. It was God who enabled the children of Israel. It's God who enables us to stand firm, for he has commissioned us and he's identified us. And he's placed in us the Holy Spirit as a first instalment of a deposit. If you go, I'm about to buy a whole load of new furniture for my new study that I've had built. <clears throat> and I'm going to put down a deposit, but the furniture's mine. I will only put down 20%, but it's mine and it's going to be delivered to my house, even though I haven't paid the other 80%. The Holy Spirit has put a deposit in you. You're his. Even though you're not fully mature and I'm not fully mature, and even though we've still got a lot of growing to do, we're his. The deposit's been paid. And now God God wants to pour in the rest. He's guaranteed it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to commission? Commission means the act of granting certain powers or authority to carry out a particular task or a duty. It means the authority so granted. It means the document conferring such authorization. Well, we've got the document. We've got the document. We've got the deposit. We've got the authority. We've got the power. We've just got to be convinced. We need to hear that sound. We need to hear that sound that burns in our heart, that incises into our heart, that helps us to see the victory. Because without seeing it, by faith, we're not going to walk into it. We're not going to act it. How can we know that it's true? Because we've got that deposit in our heart. In, in, in Amos 3.3, it says, can two walk together lest they agree? We have to agree with God. I don't understand everything about God. I don't understand everything God says. All I do is agree with him. And in agreeing with him, I'm putting down my self-reliance. Am I making myself vulnerable? Yes, of course I am. But that's what faith is. Faith is saying, I don't know God, but I'm going there anyway with you because I trust in you. Unless we give up our self-reliance and agree with God, we're never going to stand firm. We're never going to stand firm. Interestingly, going back to Corinth, Corinth was a city where there were many gods that that were being worshipped. And among them, there were two in particular that I want to mention. And one was Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. And there was a temple up on the hill. And even though it had fallen into ruin, when Paul was there, there were a thousand prostitutes who were associated with this temple. And they plied their trade throughout the city. And there was another shrine there to somebody called uh, Asclepius. And that was the god of healing. And people would leave an offering in the shape of their request for healing at this shrine. So they might, if they had a pain in their arm, they'd leave an arm. They would make something in the, in the shape of the body part that they wanted healing and they would take it to the shrine. So there were arms and legs. And it says in the study that I did that there were also breasts and genitals. So what does this say to us? Our hands, everything we do, our feet, everything we, everywhere we go, our breasts, everything we nurture and our genitals, everything we prostitute ourselves to. You know, where there is a God of love and prostitution, there is a need for healing. There will always be a need for healing. Where there are gods and other things that we serve, where sin abounds, 
faith much more about. And all of us, and we've talked about brokenness this morning. And in the city of Corinth, people were worshipping other things and idols. Places they went to, places, things they did, things they nurtured, things that they opened their heart to and prostituted to. And because of that, they had to build themselves a goddess or shrine of healing. And wherever there's something going wrong, where sin abounds, God wants to heal and restore. And therefore, there is a need in the church to hear the sound of the trumpet of the ram's horn again, where we'll stop looking at the mountain and we'll start looking at the Father, where we'll stop looking at the things of the world that we've prostituted ourselves to, things that we've done, things that we've said, places that we go, things that we watch, things that will turn us away, things that will cause us to look at the mountain, things that will cause negativity, our own opinions, the opinions of others. All those things God wants to do away with. (coughs) And God wants us to just look at him. For some of us, it's going to be a need to hear that sound as a call to repentance. The trumpets of Ramshorn was blown to call the people to repentance, to bring us into agreement with God. Some of us need to come and repent and we need to ask God. I don't know whether any of you saw that um, <coughs> last week. On, um, it, was, it was streamed live on iBethel, um, the um, gathering in LA of about 80,000 people who had gathered together with Bill Johnson and Lou Engel to cry out to God. And they spent about the first, well, not the first, but the two hours that I started watching it just repenting just repenting, just crying out to God, asking for forgiveness for the divisions within the church. You know, there is a need for us to hear the sound of the ram's horn, to come to God for repentance. There's a need for some of us to hear that sound to call us into battle. There's a need for some of us to hear that sound to call us to worship. And there's a need for some of us ultimately to hear that sound to call us to declaration and to victory. Adam, would you come up, please? In Proverbs 4, I think we need to hear that sound from God that's going to incise our hearts, that's going to grab our attention, that's going to stun us to silence. And that is going to stun us to silence from our own opinions. In, in, in um, Proverbs, it says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart (coughs) above all else. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. That is the truth. Guard your heart. (coughs) It determines the course of your life. By your own faith, you have to stand firm. By your own faith, you have to stand firm. And in Exodus 19, uh, 16 and 17, it says this, on the morning of the third day, this is the first time that sound of the ram's horn was ever mentioned. It says, the lightning flashed, the dense cloud came down on the mountain and there was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn and all the people trembled. And Moses led them from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. When you hear the sound of the ram's horn, it provokes two things. Firstly, an emotional reaction, and secondly, an action. When you hear God crying out to his people to draw his people together, it should incise our hearts, and that should promote 
prompt us to action. They came and they stood at the foot of the mountain. I think God is going to do it again. I really do believe in the earth, God is calling his people together. And in Isaiah 18:3, it says this, all of the people of the world, everyone who lives on the earth, when I raise my flag, my battle flag on the mountain, look, and when I blow my ram's horn, listen. Isaiah says, I believe God's doing it again. I believe God is making a sound in the earth. I believe he's raising up his flag. I believe that when in battle, when a flag was raised up, it was a place for people to be drawn, wasn't it? And he says, when I blow my ram's horn, listen, we need to hear what God's doing. I believe God is sending out a new sound in the earth to summon his people. I believe the connections that we have in the church with you guys going to Macedonia, with you guys going to Jordan, with all the things that are going on in the church, the connections that we have, we need to listen. We need to listen to the sound that God is using to summon his people together. And we want to enable God. We want God to enable us to see beyond the mountain, to see beyond what it is that um, hinders us. We need to respond. We need to give up our self-reliance and be willing to stand firm in our faith. We need to line ourselves up, church, in agreement with God. Amen.